Hey everybody, I am here back with Seb Park, who is the co-founder of Infinite Canvas, as well as a venture partner at Bitcraft. Now, Seb, you had talked to me before about a really interesting concept about basically how do you adapt your company's strategy, practices, and decision-making based upon new information. And you had a concept that I think you're calling process-oriented thinking or Bayesian culture. Maybe you can clarify that for me, but could you first start off with kind of like the high-level perspective on what this concept is and potentially the types of applications that you imagine it to have? For sure. It's, it's one of the coolest parts about startups in general is that we're exploring these new unseen, unknown terrains. And so, especially when you're working in industries like Web3 or user-generated gaming or the edges of gaming in general across different regions, there aren't a lot of examples as to why people should do one thing or another. And so often the job of an entrepreneur and a founder is to figure out the strategies and the tactics to do so. What's strange, and, and I think one of the things that people make huge mistakes around is that they think they'll figure out one thing and that's good forever. That they're, they understand this new loop, they understand this right. new approach, and we're now good to go in ad infinitum until the company IPOs or goes, becomes successful. But what that's not the case is that when you are operating in new environments, you have such an imperfect information set that every new piece of information you receive should be dramatically changing your confidence levels as well as your approach, both on the strategy and tactics of your business. The, the best right. way to like think about this from an academic level is something called Bayes' theorem or Bayesian thinking, which is effectively the conditional probabilities of events changing as a function of the amount of knowledge you had prior to the event occurring. What's interesting about startups is you don't have a lot of prior information. So the new input, the new X input, it has, should have a much larger effect on how you view your strategy and your tactics than let's say you're a Google or a Activision Blizzard or a company that has like such an established practice that for them, because of their history, every new piece of information is a smaller effect on their overall strategy or tactics. And that, I think, is one of the coolest things that great founders I've worked with do inherently without even knowing the theory behind, but something that we should like try to teach everyone in terms of how you operate your company strategy and thinking. Right. And maybe I could just react to some of what you have talked about right now, Seb, and, and just for the audience, just to kind of clarify a few things as well. So base theorem, meaning conditional probability, just as an example for our audience. So like... And correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, so that would be, for example, if you were to look at the potential, I don't know, the, the potential for you to die in any sp specific year, but then it, depending on your age, right? So like mm -hmm. that would be the conditional probability, your mortality rate based upon, but you know, if you're 15 versus 25 versus 80 would be different. And so what you are saying is that in a similar way, if you think about a specific business practice, your, uh, you know, the the type of game that you're working on, the kind of feature that you're working on, or things like that, that that should be conditioned upon different information that you're able to get from, you know, from from the market, for example. Is that yeah, 
Yeah, okay. yeah. And I think just to give a little bit more nuance there, this is stuff that we as humans do inherently, but we're just bad at estimating it verbally or visualizing in our head. Okay. But the, think, the best way to think about it, and I love the poker example, right? Which is if you've played, let's say you've studied some poker and you played one hand of poker and you won or lost money on it, it's just hard to tell probabilistically whether you're good, bad, lucky, or unlucky. If you've played 10,000 hands of poker or 10,000 hours of poker right. and you're losing lots of money, like $100,000 at one-two poker, there's a chance you got unlucky, but there's like no chance you're good. There's like no chance probabilistically, given the information we have, that you're particularly great at poker. And right. in the business sense, it's very similar in, hey, if this practice is doing X well, and the next time you do it, it does Y well, and Y is larger than X, that's a directional informational gain you've gotten. But if it's been doing well for like 10 years, and Y is now lower than X, you don't suddenly blow up the company. You, you like figure out, hey, like, is this, a, is this randomness? What's happening here? Whereas if Y is the second input you have, where the only historical information you have was that one prior input, you should consider Y's value to be much higher because right. of the potential new world you're exploring. Right. Yeah, and maybe, maybe another way of describing this for our audience, and again, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, is just similar to kind of like the the way in which development teams have shifted from, uh, not everybody, but some development teams have shifted from a waterfall methodology to an agile methodology where you're basically developing in smaller increments. And then at the end of every increment, you try to take new information and then and then adjust your, your development based upon new information mm -hmm. at every increment. So similarly, you're saying for your business strategy, for any kind of decision-making to try and adapt to new information that's coming from the market and then to adjust accordingly. And yep. so then if, if, if I could ask examples of like the kinds of decisions, would it be things like uh, features that you put into a game? Would it be you know more design-oriented or would it be things like, okay, given... IDFA deprecation, here are, you know, that's a new thing. So then how do we adapt? Um, maybe you could provide some specific examples of, of, of how to, uh, to apply this um, Bayesian thinking or process-oriented thinking to decisions or strategy. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a great example of it will just be like com company focus over okay. the course of time, right? Uh, okay. Kevin Kwok wrote a great piece about this, I think a couple of years ago on why Figma wins where he describes how you know, they started as a cloud tech company, then use that loop to find out like, hey, like if, with this information that we have now, it's clear that our targeted audience ought not be consumers, but rather enterprise sales. Like enterprise is a better use case for Figma given the information we have. So let's like focus on enterprise sales features. And then now we, with this information and with the stuff we had before on the cloud infrastructure, we're like, hey, Network effects are actually really easy to achieve here. Let's focus on that next. And that's sort of the type of updating gap-based information. From a game feature standpoint, I think there's a really fun example. If you are creating, po if you have Pokemon as your game, and you have that core game loop of you know, catching Pokemon, battling, getting gym badges, and one of your new games, after 20 years, one of the new games with the gym battles underperforms, you shouldn't suddenly 
throw away the core loop of catching Pokemon and doing gym battles. We have 20 years of experience that this has been an incredibly valuable and highly selling game. You don't need to change that right away. Whereas on the flip side, if you are a Web3 games company and you are one of the, you are explicitly, you've only been around for like, if you're actually been around for three years, but for everyone else, you haven't been around for more than like order of magnitude of months, right? And the first game goes to zero because for some reason your game gets about like a thousand players and your play to earn model no longer works and it starts to break down. Well, you don't have the 20 years of Pokemon's experience to be like, hey, this might be a jitter in our model. You have your quarter. This new information that the game doesn't work at 1,000 should be taken and be like, okay, in that case, we should switch up something and radically change how the PTE or some other ecosystem will work here and then move from there. Yeah. It's no, what, super strange as a result. <laughs> okay. Yeah. One other, I was just, as you were talking, I was just kind of thinking about the other way of thinking about Bayes theorem, for example, in terms of the conditional probability. And I think something that in particular companies that are more audience oriented are good at is really trying to take the context of the, the conditional probability part, for example. So if you're trying to develop features for a game, I think the companies like Riot, what they're good at is understanding the player. So what are the features for this game given conditioned upon this player type being our primary player target, for example. And so um, I, I don't know if, if that's how you think about it, but I, I do think that that's something where as an industry, we could do a better job of trying to understand, well, you know, it's not, so taking the situational context into mind, taking that conditional probability aspect of whether it's um, for this game, given this audience, and maybe for Web3, it's like, you know, because you not only have a game audience, but you also have like in, you know, you also have a crypto, a rich crypto yeah. audience buying stuff based upon speculation. And so like then I'm trying to understand who are you making the features for, who is your ultimate target, and then based trying to understand how to develop features given that. Um, but I, I can kind of see how that kind of thinking, the, the conditional probability part could be generalized to more, more kinds of decisions. For sure, for sure. And I think one of the, the cool parts about this thinking structure is that uh, I, people often in game development conflate strategy and tactics, right? You can have a strategy and your tactics can look very different from that strategy, and they often mm -hmm. do. And so what's really cool about working through the process of building out a culture that thinks this way is that it helps every person, be it the founder the middle manager, the 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 like uh, the entry level engineer, start to ask some of these questions and thus develop the tactics or develop the culture of being like, hey, let's iterate faster because based on this information, and then make those decisions forthwith. Uh, the, I think the hard thing, and this is one of the things that I think should go uh, similar to the Pokemon example, but also for Activision with Blizzard and some of the older companies, is that the reason why startups succeed is not necessarily purely because larger companies are stale or archaic or unwilling to iterate. It's that by definition, when you have so much more data and so much more history of things working, you should in fact make decisions slower. That actually that is the, condi like the conditional probabilities that you have are just a different set than that of a startup. And I think that is like the interplay where it's like, yeah, like your best practices from 
your, you know, your Riot games or your Activision Blizzards may not work necessarily as well on these new frontier ecosystems, mostly as a function of just the difference of un your understanding of your audience, your understanding of your players, your understanding of your target ecosystems. And I think that's really cool. And I think that's why yeah. startups are awesome. But it's also one of the reasons why it's often hard for people to make the jump back and forth consistently. A lot of people who are startup founders have a hard time going into full-on uh, enterprise industries and vice versa, in part because if you spend your entire career learning one style of thinking, it's hard to then like deviate back and forth. Uh, right. And the ones who do the best job are the ones who I believe already inherently understand even without necessarily the vocabulary to describe it, this idea of conditional probabilities, this idea of Bayesian updating, and this idea of then building out your process and your approach to game making and company development as a function of this. Yeah. And to your point about the large companies, right? Like the conditional probability of making a huge ch change to an existing successful product, that cost is dramatically higher than a new startup with a new product just doing some crazy shit. Just, and th their cost is like with, with few users or no users is, is basically zero. Yeah. But uh, uh, opportunity mm -hmm. costs are certainly a huge factor into it as well. <laughs> right. And just speaking to this notion about startups and I, I do think that to your point like one of the the key advantages of a startup is going to be speed and um, and making decisions based upon imperfect or lack of information so then I do think that being able to integrate new information and to apply that well could be a very important strategic um, advantage for startups or, or, or new companies and if I'm Understanding like the basis of what you're calling, let, let's say Bayesian culture is, is what you're calling it, then it seems like there's kind of two aspects to it, right? Which is one, taking in and adapting to new information, and two, understanding your set of conditional probabilities and how that impacts how you make your decisions or strategy or things of that nature. But taking it to a more practical level. If you were to give advice to a company, okay, so we we have this this kind of high level concept around um, process oriented thinking, Bayesian type of culture or, or thinking or approach, but now on a practical level, if you were to tell a startup CEO or founding team, okay, now that you understand the concept, here are some things that you can do practically to try and apply this, what, what would you, what, what would be like a good first step for uh, a founding team to try and do to kind of integrate this thinking? Yeah. I mean, I think the first step is to your point, there's two parts is understanding conditional probabilities, which is hard, but the thing that you should first start with is just writing out your priors, writing out right. in like, like type it up, write it on a piece of paper, but be honest about here's what we believe and here's why we believe right. it at this moment in time. Like once you have that base, then you can circle back and do it over and over again. So uh, right. my, my co-founder Tal and I, we run a, a remote company, but effectively once every eight weeks, we get together for a week. And we get together not for necessarily anything operational, just to go over our priors. It's just a meeting where we're like, hey, this is what we believe when we set out on the company. This is what we believed six months ago. This is what we believed three months ago. Let's just write our hypotheses. What's the new information? How much should it be changing each of our philosophical approaches in terms of the company moving forward? So that I think is like the easiest okay. first step to go about thinking of as founders. From okay. and, 
Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just about to say, so just uh, just to try to summarize that for, for, for our audience and, and for me, like, so maybe one thing you could do is every, call it two months or, or eight weeks, you write down all of your assumptions, maybe assumptions and key risks about your business. Mm -hmm. uh, you try to understand all of the new information that has occurred in the last eight weeks. And then as you have written down your assumptions, and maybe for, for us, we're really key risk driven, we would look at those and we would try to understand not only the impact of new information on all of that stuff, but in addition, understanding whether the way that we're thinking about conditional probabilities against all of those assumptions and key risks is correct or not. Right, right. That, and imp okay. it's important for sure because uh, there are two macro mistakes people make in decision making. Some mm -hmm. people overreact to new information and some people underreact to new information. Right. And the, the Bayesian approach helps you figure out the proper response rate to the information, which is depending on magnitude and depending on how much existing information you have, you should change up your response rates. And the best way to dial that in is to just write it out because it'll help you disentangle the general human inability to think through conditional probabilities. Because humans, like every, everyone from doctors to mathematicians are all yeah. bad at it. Like we're just That's all right. horrendous <laughs> at it. And the yeah. easiest way to like solve for things when you're bad at it, at least in my opinion, is just to write it out <laughs> so you have these points of time to do so. Right. And then the second thing that I think is really important from a practical standpoint is then applying that culture to the greater company. Right. And I think that actually comes out in, like I said, culture, uh, which is, I think, a really interesting nuance here. An, an example of this is that we have a release manager who, uh, you know, we, we gave the ability to, to pull the trigger on a new game's release. And in the postmortem, we were like, hey, this was a bit conservative. You could have pulled that trigger you know, a week earlier, two weeks earlier. Well, now we have one piece of information. And so you write that down. And then the next time, uh, this, when she has another chance to pull the release strategy, we'll see if she, or is she very aggressive this time? Is she even more conservative, less conservative? And we can take that information to then judge, like, hey, we need you to adapt faster, or we need you to like, take what you believe, subtract three days, or take what you believe, add three days, improve your own process, and be okay with being wrong insofar as that we're seeing fast, iterative improvements in terms of decision-making moving forward, which then allows her to actually be, go from being like a junior release manager to a mid-level to a senior release manager in a much faster time period, I'd imagine, than your typical like years of progression. Right. And maybe the one other question I can ask you, Seb, is that in terms of like, you know, whether it's a practice or a process, it's easier to kind of document that and to roll it out. And then as you're doing the specific work, like, you know, whether, whether it's a development process or something like that, you're, you're kind of engaging with it on a very regular basis. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people working on that kind of process together. So it's easy to install, but when you're talking about a way of thinking in terms of like the Bayesian approach, how do you how would you think about, or how would you try to, and to your point, you know, disseminate or scale this thinking across the organization when it's more abstract or more conceptual? It's, it's hard. And it's something that part of the reason I want to talk more about is I'm sure people have even better ideas. Our strategy and my strategy has been taking almost a uh, evangelical approach to it, which okay. is just constantly talking about it. 
just okay. constantly having a conversation, being like, hey, here are my priors. Here's what I believe. Here's how the probabilities are changing. Here's, I think, why we should do this outcome. And just doing that over and over again until the next person does it and the next person do it. And that's why I keep saying the word culture because I do think it's a culture-driven environment that you can infect this type of thinking to the entire team such that it's no longer just the senior management team. It's no longer just middle managers. It's people who come into the company realizing that this is the part of the culture is we are going to be very quickly updating all of our information in order to make this thing happen. I've seen a couple of other approaches, right? I've seen, uh, you know, when I worked in in um, North American basketball at the NBA and then the esports side, we just had a lot of people track data on ability in zero sum ecosystems like basketball or in esports. It's actually pretty easy to show that people are bad. <laughs> like it's like, hey, like here's here's literally the data sheet that says you thought it was going to be X, but it was Y, yeah. and that was super helpful. We actually had all of our all of our uh, scouts and managers and coaches. Uh, votes on what they thought the outcome of every game would be ahead of time. And we tracked it over the course of multiple seasons, being like, look, you're clearly overestimating these guys or underestimating these guys. Let's figure out why. Let's update your priors based on this information we have conditional towards counter-logic gaming or conditional towards evil geniuses, right? And so it's so much easier to do this. And this type of process is already being done at the best front offices in sports, because they have zero-sum environments where they can see their wins and losses <laughs> over time. It's certainly yeah. harder to implement, I think, in traditional business, but I think one of the best learnings that we can bring over. And I certainly also think it's a vocabulary issue because one of the coolest things I've seen in talking to business leaders over the last few years is that the best ones already do it. They just only hire people who also do it. And so it's... They're like, oh, they're like, oh, this person doesn't make good decisions was less of a they're not a good decision maker in a vacuum. It's that they don't respect the conditional probabilities. And so they fail over a period of time. And so therefore they move on to the next guy or to the next woman who and they try them out. And then over time, over 20 years, now they have a team that's actually very good at it, but they had to like cull large percentages of the team. Yeah, I think that's really interesting how you talk about grading internal people. It really reminds me of Ray Dalio and his book, Principles, where he talks about how they have a believability-weighted index for how they do decision-making, where they actually grade people based upon different aspects of, of their business. And then based upon the decision, everyone kind of votes, but then they all have different kind of weighting based upon how good or bad they are at something. Um, but I do think it's um, it's interesting because in the games industry, that's so hard to do, and we right. don't we we don't do believ- believability weighted um, decision making at our company just because you know the like like in in finance you have a lot of transactions right you invest in a stock it goes up or it goes down or you have a bunch of games in the NBA you win or you lose and you've got a bunch of these transactions to give you all the data points but then for a for a game. Like how many games does someone work on in their career, right? Like, you know, with like two, two to three to four year life cycles, right? Then it's it's like <laughs> the the number of transactions is so low that uh, maybe the other thing, I, I maybe I'm going too far afield right now, but the other thing that would be interesting is how do you evaluate or judge people based upon proxies rather than specific outcomes given the long life cycles within our industry. But. It is so hard. Like, and that I think is why 
it's the 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 revealed and stated preferences for people are just so different because when it's hard to judge, I think a lot of people come to the conclusion it's not worth measuring. When in reality, the conclusion you should come to is like we should try harder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, like we should try measuring more things, see if yeah. we can find out things. Uh, what I'll, I'll give a fun anecdote, which is we've been iterating and the canvas our release cadence. Uh, yeah. As a function of inputs, like testing is an input, uh, working is an input, feature development and uh, feature ideation is an input. And the thing that we've seen in the data that's like unequivocally the most important thing is how often do you update? <laughs> like it, it, it matters even less for everything else. The two things that matter the most are number one, how often you update. And number two, how often do you break everything? If you don't right. break everything and you update frequently, it's just massively positive. And it's not necessarily because the updates themselves are positive, is that the feedback loops get smaller and smaller. And so people are getting more information into their system and they're making better and better decisions because they like now have better inferences. And so the, the, the external inputs are a little bit lower and lower. Uh, it's amusing to me now because you know, modern machine learning basically has abstracted away a lot of these things. Where they, and especially with reinforcement learning, you're trying not to bias the inputs. You're trying to just like let the inputs run and tell you what's right. Yeah. Uh, I think especially in our industry where we're spending a lot of time trying to figure out new games and spending two, three, four years on them, we're going to have you have to just trust yourself to bias it a little bit <laughs> and then like move it in that direction. But certainly, I'm sure someone's working on a really cool reinforcement learning bias remove process to make new games, but uh, not quite there for at least for Infinite Canvas. <laughs> Okay, and for our audience, if they want to learn more about this, are there any resources out there, or is, is this just kind of like a, uh, is this like a sub, you know, concept, or have you written about this at all? If they yes, want to I, I've written a couple times about it, and if, if you follow me on Twitter at Seb Park, like that's okay. a decent place to see it. But I would also just recommend reading a lot of the behavioral economics literature out there. Um, that, that was my uh, undergrad area of study. It's something that I really care a lot about. But I think, for example, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow is a right. very good book for a lot of people. I think Ray Dalio's book has a lot of Bayesian updating and waiting that you see in a lot of that stuff in there. I'd also just, honestly, and it's going to sound ridiculous, I actually think for a lot of people, if you're not a reader, find some YouTube videos. Like, I kid you not, like, if you just go to YouTube and type in Bayes Theorem <laughs> and watch the top 10 videos and 10 different YouTube educators trying to explain this incredibly yeah. complex topic to you, yeah. it will help a ton in terms of getting you into the right mindset where it clicks and then you can make good decisions around it. Yeah. So for the audience, if you haven't subscribed, make sure to su subscribe here. We'll, we'll be sent back to talk about more topics. Um, okay, so... I don't have any other questions. Do you have any last message for our audience? Or, and also, besides uh, you know, following you on Twitter at Seb Park, is there any other um, way people can get in touch with you? Or is that the main, main way? That's the main way. I think I have like an email on my website. If you want to go mm -hmm. look it up, feel free to do that. It's just SebastianPark.com. The, the one thing I will say is that this is still, for me at least, we're still iterating on this idea. Okay. <laughs> and so what... There's so many unknown, unknown things we don't know, we don't know, and would love to hear from people, I, like how people have developed companies. One, one of my favorite conversations of all time was this conversation I had with Jens, one of the GPs at Bitcraft, where we were just arguing and debating the rate at which you scale companies from like 
20 to 50, <laughs> and then 50 to 100. Yeah. And it was a ton of fun because I have my priors, he has his priors, and then you come up with better systems by merging them together and figuring out conditional to these XYZ QT thing, what do we do? And I think similarly, if you have thoughts on how you've done it, how you're making decisions or how you're trying to expand, it doesn't have to be this idea, but any idea as part of your culture, I would love to hear it in part because I think that'll help us all improve our thinking around it. Right. All right, Seth. Well, thanks so much uh, for jumping on again. I hope to have you on again to talk about more interesting concepts like this one. And for our audience, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Seth. Cheers. Cheers.